Welcome to another edition of the JP Hoops Podcast presented by Book It Sports and the Book It Sports app. We have had an amazing week of playoff basketball. The conference finals are decided. The mighty Brooklyn Nets have fallen. Kawhi Leonard injured. Chris Paul in COVID protocol. We have a lot to get to, including the future of the Philadelphia 76ers and more. But first, let's talk about our wonderful sponsor, the Book It Sports app. It's the number one app that combines social media and sports gambling. There is no other app like it. You could track your bets. You could see other people within the community who have written your bets. You could buy picks from handicappers. You could join in on all the fun at no cost. All you got to do, go to the app store, go to the Android store, Download the Book It Sports app, sign in with an account, and join today. The number one app for sports gambling if you're into social media on the planet. We have a lot to get to. It's been a crazy week. A lot has happened since the last podcast. The Brooklyn Nets have fallen. Kawhi Leonard is injured. Chris Paul is in COVID protocol. But all of that takes a backseat to what we saw Sunday night Game 7 between the Atlanta Hawks and the Philadelphia 76ers. And in Philadelphia, we saw the process officially crumble. It's over. It cannot be over-exaggerated what has happened. You could go on the internet right now, go to Twitter, go to Instagram. Look at Doc Rivers and Joel Embiid's post-game comments. Everyone on the planet right now is ripping Ben Simmons and ripping the Philadelphia 76ers for losing to the Atlanta Hawks in the Eastern Conference semifinals. Now, before we rip Philadelphia, let's get it over with. The Hawks deserve a ton of credit. Trey Young in Game 7, when he wasn't having his best game shooting the basketball, was still phenomenal. Still able to get to 20 points, was able to draw fouls, and was able to create for his teammates. That is all, everything you need from a superstar. When they're not having their best night shooting the basketball, and when you look at what Trey Young did, he was 5 for 23 from the field, 2 for 11 from 3. However, 21 points, 10 assists, 9 of 11 from the free throw line, plus 7, plus minus. And then... The other makings of a good team, you need other players to step up. Bogdanovich, clearly injured in that game, only plays 21 minutes. Who do they look to? Kevin Herter, someone who I saw dismantle Syracuse University when I was a sophomore there, when he was at the University of Maryland. He plays 40 minutes. He goes off for 27 points, 10 of 18 from the field, 7 rebounds. That is the makings of a good team, a supporting cast around a star player. They had it all together. Good coaching. Nate McMillan, who came in for Lloyd Pierce midway through the season, has done a phenomenal job with this team. And they were 16 and 20 in the regular season away from home. And they go to Philly and they win three of their games in Philadelphia. Absolutely incredible. 
they deserve all the credit. But the fact of the matter is, we're not ranting about how good the Atlanta Hawks are. That is not the story here. The story is about the epic collapse of the Philadelphia 76ers. And it's not only that they collapse by being the number one seed in the East and then losing a playoff series before reaching the conference finals to an inferior team that had eight in an eight game, you know, record differential between them and the Hawks in the regular season. That's not why they collapsed. They collapsed because in game five, they had a 20 plus point lead and they blew it. Game seven, they have a lead going into the third quarter kind of let up a little bit, then the Hawks absolutely stick the dagger in their heart. And all the credit, again, we're going to compliment people before we trash people. Joel Embiid left it all on the floor. No one knew his status for this playoff series. Torn meniscus and all. He gave absolutely everything he had to this team. MVP candidate. Got snubbed for first team All-NBA, but we'll talk about that a little later. And he goes out, game five that they lost, he had 37-13. and 13. Game six, the one they needed to win to get back to Philly, 22-13. and 13. And then even in game seven, he had 31 points, 11 rebounds. On over 50% shooting, 40% from three, and playing over 40 minutes. He gave everything he had. Joel Embiid gave everything he had. And that's not what we could say for one Ben Simmons. And I have been a defender of Ben Simmons in the past. And you know what? I still think he would make a very good player on a lot of different teams. But when you saw what he did in this playoff series, and it can't be overstated enough, he was a liability to the Sixers throughout the series. Game six, the one they needed to win in Atlanta was the game he played the least minutes he did all series. 25 minutes. A little over half the game. Last three games. Game five. Eight points. On two... He made two field goals. Game six. Six points. Again, only two field goals. Two of six. Game seven. Five points. And here's the thing that's so annoying about Ben Simmons. First of all, he looks like he should be a very good basketball player. Obviously, he was the number one overall pick in the 2016 draft. Even in Game 7, where everyone is crapping all over him, he had 13 assists and played great defense and got 8 rebounds. But you can't have him on the floor in late-game situations because he can't hit a free throw. Throughout the entire postseason, he shot 34% from the free throw line. And then we all remember the big moment, the one that Joel Embiid after the game said changed the entire momentum of the game. Pointed to this specific play when saying this is why the Sixers lost. Ben Simmons gets the ball underneath. Trey Young in front of him. An open path to the lane. And instead of shooting the ball because he's so into his own head, He passes up to Thibel, 
Diebel gets fouled, missed the shot, goes one of two from the line. Trey Young comes back, hit a three. Bad possession. Trey Young comes back, hit a three. That's the game. They lost the lead, gave it up to the sick to the Hawks, and lost the game. And that's unacceptable from a superstar point guard. And when the offseason comes around, I'll do more of a good job defending Ben Simmons because I do think he will be a great player. This is only his fourth full season in the league, so he needs a little more credit. The offensive thing isn't working, and his situation in Philadelphia is not working. He does not fit what they are trying to do, and Sixers fans will never forgive him for what happened over the past week and a half. Never. That relationship is irreparable, The coach already threw him under the bus saying he doesn't know if he could be a point guard on a championship winning team. Joel Embiid, the superstar of the team, threw him under the bus for saying that he messed up the game by not taking the open layup. And the city has absolutely turned their back on him as they're screaming F Ben Simmons as they're leaving the arena. It's over for him in Philadelphia. And the Sixers have to take a long, hard look at themselves in the mirror going into this offseason. Because now, who knows what Joel Embiid wants to do if he wants to be a part of this team anymore. We keep hearing about the process. And I said it loud and clear before the season started and all through the playoffs. This is the deadline for the process. It's been too damn long. And we just saw it blow up in all of our faces at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia in front of the home crowd throwing water bottles on the court and all. It's over. It is over for Ben Simmons in Philadelphia. He needs to go. He needs a fresh start for him. Joel Embiid, they need to keep him around. He obviously doesn't want to play with Simmons anymore. Something's got to give. And we'll go through all the trade possibilities once the offseason comes around. But Ben Simmons' time in Philadelphia is absolutely over. All right, let's stay in the Eastern Conference. We had another Game 7. We're a road team, upset a home team. Maybe less shocking, as it was something that maybe I predicted. But we have to talk about everything that went into it. First and foremost, the Giannis not being a playoff performer rumors are absolutely finished. This was the biggest series of his life against this juggernaut that everyone wanted to say was a guarantee to win the NBA championship. That was it. They were the odds-on favorite by a lot. They had three superstars coming into the series. Granted, we know the injury stuff. We'll get into it a little bit more. But Giannis, who's always been so close, who got gentlemen swept in the second round of the playoffs last year to a much more inferior opponent in the Miami Heat. They go out, spend a ton of money on a point guard. They go out, trade for P.J. Tucker. They do all of these things to make the team around him better. 
So there needed to be some improvement. Giannis even said it himself. If we don't get past the second round, we didn't even get any better than we were a year ago. And he was completely right. But all the pressure was on him. And look what he did in seven games. 34 34 points, 11 rebounds. 18 points, 11 rebounds. 33 points, 14 rebounds. 34 and 12. 34 and 12. 30 and 17. And in game seven, 40, 13, five assists on 62% shooting. 50 minutes played. That was a superstar legacy moment for Giannis Antetokounmpo. He shut everybody up. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. Did he shoot the ball a little too much? Yes. I still don't really understand why he is so infatuated with the idea of needing to shoot the three ball. But in the end, if he's giving you 30 plus points, 10 plus rebounds, and his field goal percentage is way over 50%, which it was, that is the most you could ask of him. And he was playing solid defense, wish he guarded Durant a little bit more, but I don't think anyone was stopping Kevin Durant. So I guess it all worked out. But Giannis, in the biggest spotlight, fans back in the arena, needed this series win against a depleted Nets team. And the two-time MVP delivered against the best player on the planet. Did everything he needed to do. Did he hit all the clutch shots? No. He didn't really take them. And I've always said, I think that's a problem if he's the number one on a team. But I also said this going into this series. If Chris Middleton can give you 25 points per game, you're in an absolutely stellar situation. And Chris Middleton was the guy hitting the big shots down the stretch. Games five through six, 25 points, 38 points, 23 points. 10 rebounds in game six and seven. You can't ask for anything more out of these guys. And look, the Bucs didn't play perfect. They didn't need to play perfect against the Nets. I believe Giannis needed to play perfect, and he damn near did. Drew Holiday was terrible on offense in Game 7. Terrible. And Chris Middleton, was he great? No. He was 9 for 26, but he hit the shots when they mattered in fourth quarter down the stretch and in overtime. This is what the Bucks are. They're not a perfect team, but you know what they are today? The favorites to win the NBA championship, according to Vegas. They're, they're the favorites. They have the Hawks in the Eastern Conference Finals, and then they're getting either the Suns, who knows what's happening with Chris Paul, and the Clippers, who knows what's happening to Kawhi Leonard. The Bucks are the most healthy team, and Giannis is, dare I say, the best player remaining in the playoffs? The only one to win an MVP. So I think it's a fair statement to make. And the Bucks flexed their muscle against the Nets. 
and the Nets are going to get a lot of crap for losing. Before the season, Kyrie says, oh, we don't really need a coach. James Harden comes in out of shape. I don't really know. Kyrie takes a mental leave of absence. Durant gets hurt. Harden gets hurt. Kyrie gets hurt. They have no chemistry together. Then Steve Nash is asking these guys to play 40-plus minutes a game in the playoffs, and then Kyrie gets hurt, and Harden definitely not 100% through the series. Then they have to ask Kevin Durant to do it all himself. And in Game 5, I think he had one of the best playoff performances I've ever seen in my life. And he won them the game on his back. And you know what happened in Game 6 after he played 48 minutes? In game five, he had to play 43 minutes, traveling, and on only one full day's rest. And they get blown out. And then he goes into game seven and plays 53 minutes. He played damn near 150 minutes in three games over a five-day span. This is off an Achilles injury from last year. He was injured earlier in the season. And he's older now. And James Harden, clearly injured. I'm I'm holding a lot back by not trying to hate on what James Harden did because I absolutely respect him for going out on the floor and competing even though he probably shouldn't have even been on the floor. But he's out there... He was like a puppet. He was just there to take up space. Credit to him. He got 22 points in game seven. Ten of them came from the free throw line. He shot two of 12 from three. Five of 17 from the field. And at the end of the game, in the fourth quarter and overtime, he wanted nothing to do with the basketball. It all went to Kevin Durant. And it should have went to Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant... Was not injured. James Harden absolutely was. So, I don't really think... Look, I said it wasn't the Nets here coming into the postseason and throughout the season and in the playoffs. And I didn't want it to be this way where all of the injuries got in the way of what they could have been. Because even with all the injuries, they took Milwaukee to seven games... Kevin Durant proved to the world that he is the best player on the planet. And I don't think it's close anymore. It's not LeBron James anymore. Not even close. It's not Giannis. He can't make the shots Durant hits. Dude, we all see the shot that Kevin Durant hit to send game seven to overtime. I was on FaceTime with my buddy Constantine. I said it. I called him before the inbound play. I said there's a 0% chance he missed the shot. And he didn't. And then in overtime, he tried the same shot in the 52 and 52nd mark of his playing time that game. He airballed one. And it was an impossible shot. He just made it five minutes earlier when he had a little more weight under his legs. It's hard. That's an incredibly difficult shot. And he just makes it look easy. But the Nets are going to be better than ever next season. I am already predicting them to win next year's NBA championship. But what we have this year is really special. Four teams. I don't think anyone expected to be here. Maybe 
you expected the Clippers and the Bucks to make the conference finals, but they took a back seat to, you know, in the West, the Jazz and the Suns were good all year. And then people thought maybe the Lakers would make a run. And the Clippers fell down 0-2 to the Mavericks and 0-2 to the Jazz. And then you have the Bucks, third seed in the East. Sixers look good all year. The Nets were their super team. But the Bucks are still here, along with the Atlanta Hawks. It's incredible. The parody in this NBA postseason is off the charts, and I am absolutely here for it, enjoying every single second. All right, so I won't really get into the Clippers Jazz series so much. I will start with this, though, on the other side of the bracket. I said that the Suns-Nuggets was going to be the most fun series in the postseason. Yeah, it wasn't. Suns absolutely steamrolled Denver. And they are by far and away the hottest team in the postseason. Game one between the Clippers and the Suns. I think a fairly even trade-off. Kawhi Leonard is a better basketball player than Chris Paul. But I think if you factor in Chris Paul's leadership compared to Kawhi's, the balance was pretty equal that both of them didn't play game one. So let's let's save all of the, oh, this one was injured, oh, this one was out because of COVID. No, no, no. Let's say all would be the same if both players were playing. Which, again, we won't know until maybe they'll come back, but we'll see. Both of them already out for ruled out for game two, which is tonight as we're recording on Tuesday, June 22nd. So Devin Booker is one of the brightest young stars in the league. Kid's 24 years old. I'm 22. I'm fat and just sitting recording this podcast for you guys. And he is out here getting his first career triple-double in game one of the Western Conference Finals. Oh, with 40 points. Carrying the Suns team on his back. And this is... This was the Devin Booker game. And Devin Booker, if you've been watching Suns basketball, he's been doing it all year long. Even with Chris Paul there. He gets buckets. But I think a lot of people were right to assume that if Chris Paul wasn't there, it would be asking a lot of Devin Booker to go out there and carry this team. A very inexperienced team. Just lost their veteran leader, the only other player outside of Jay Crowder that has been in this situation before. And, you know, Jay Crowder is who he is. He's a good good role player for a good team. But, you know, he's no Chris Paul. Let me tell you that. So when Chris Paul gets injured, it's a really big deal. It acts a lot of Devin Booker. And Devin Booker just goes out there and balls out. 40 points. 13, 11, and they handily beat the Los Angeles Clippers, a team that had title aspirations for two years now. If you told me two years ago that the Phoenix Suns would be competing for an NBA championship in a two-year span, I'd be like, you're absolutely crazy. This team was given an opportunity to make the postseason last year in the bubble, won every single game, and still couldn't get in the playoffs. And now they are three games away from the NBA Finals. And that is not only 
because Chris Paul got there, changed the culture, and led these guys. It's also because Devin Booker transformed from star to superstar with Chris Paul as his running mate. He has learned from Chris. He knows how to lead a team now. He knows how to get a spark going. And he is a certified bucket getter. And there's not many players that do it better than him in the league. When it's just go out there and get a score. He could do it at any point from anywhere on the court. And he makes his teammates better. Guys love playing with this dude. And you know what? For a guy who is so good, he wants absolutely all the smoke. He's out with Kendall Jenner. He's chirping guys on the floor. He loves being in this spot. Same thing with Trey Young in Atlanta. They both thrive in this environment. And in game one, 40 points, he had 11 assists. Playoff career high. 13 rebounds, playoff career high. 40 points, second highest outside of game six against the Lakers. The big moments for Devin Booker are when he really steps up to the plate. Booker has one game out of 11 this postseason where his plus minus was in the negative. And it was a game three loss to the Lakers. Excuse me, two. It was both the games they lost to the Lakers. The Suns are red hot. Booker is ready to run the show with or without Chris Paul. And I think Chris Paul, if my timetable is correct, and no one really knows, but if my timetable is correct, he should be ready by game three or four. And by then they'll already have a 2-0 lead because I think they're going to thrash the Clippers tonight without Kawhi Leonard. And let me get something that was clear. Paul George is starting to correct the playoff P, pandemic P talk that was, you know, slandered on him last season. He's been playing really well, especially without Kawhi. He won that Jazz series for the Clippers. It was him and Terrence Mann and Reggie Jackson, but he was leading that charge. So he deserves a lot of credit. However, when I predicted that the Clippers had the best opportunity to win the NBA championship. And anyone who listens to the podcast will know this. It was because of Kawhi Leonard. The only guy who has finals experience, along with Rondo, of course, but Rondo definitely not the player who he used to be. He's barely playing now in the postseason. But Kawhi Leonard, two-time finals MVP, top three player in basketball. Now that he's out, and look, he banged knees. And... They keep ruling him out like once one game ends, they rule him out for the next game. There's no clarification on how bad this injury really is. And I thought it was pretty bad when I, you know, read up on it and started reading everything and whatever. So I don't expect him to be back. And if he's not back, they're screwed. They are screwed. They they cannot win this series against a blazing hot Phoenix Suns team with no Kawhi Leonard. I'm sorry. I thought that it was the move. I have a bet on the Clippers plus 225 to win the Western Conference. It's not going to happen if Kawhi Leonard doesn't play. And I don't think he's going to play. I think he's actually injured. You know, if he wants to be gutsy and try to get out there for game three or whenever Chris Paul comes back, more power to him. 
But the Suns, this young group of guys, I will be honest, I didn't think they had it in them to go in there and, you know, beat up on the Lakers, the defending champions. They slaughtered the MVP and Nikola Jokic in four games. And they came into game one and really had a pretty handy win against the Los Angeles Clippers. Really good performance. They're a really good team and they're all playing out of their minds right now. What a turnaround. An absolutely exceptional turnaround for the Phoenix Suns. And it's tough to see what's going on with the LA Clippers with the loss of Kawhi Leonard. All right, so kind of broke down everything so far leading up to these conference finals. Uh, if Kawhi Leonard doesn't come back, the Suns are going to win. There is no excuse for the Bucks to lose to the Atlanta Hawks. You know, I won't get too much into it. We'll do a podcast at some point later in the week to talk about, you know, how the series are progressing. Obviously, Phoenix up 1-0 right now. Uh, game 2 tonight. And tomorrow night, Wednesday night, we have Game 1 of the hawks Bucks. But before we wrap things up, let's talk a little bit about the All-NBA teams. And I want to say this first and foremost. The fact that Supermax contracts and salary bonuses are decided by All-NBA status. And when All-NBA status is decided by members of the media... That is a travesty. It is disgusting, unacceptable behavior. And I won't stand for it. I'm out here speaking up for Donovan Mitchell, for Jason Tatum, guys that are going to miss out on the Supermax because the media thought that Jimmy Butler and Paul George were more deserving of all NBA. I love Jimmy Butler. And I love Paul George. And they're making a ton of money right now. Donovan Mitchell led the Utah Jazz to the number one seed in the Western Conference. And Jason Tatum proved to the world that he is a superstar this year. I can't really be too mad about guys being put over him. I think the only person I have a problem with, and I'll get hate because I'm a Heat fan, but Jimmy Butler... You know, he going to a six seed. The Celtics were only a seven seed. Donovan Mitchell is just sitting there. And, you know, people are saying Russell Westbrook, he averaged a triple-double this year. But Bradley Beal's on there. I don't know. I just know that Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum should not be penalized for the media not respecting them after the seasons that they had. Because either of those guys deserve the biggest contract possible for what they did this year. Because they were both absolutely incredible. I don't hate much about the All-NBA list. I'll just say this. When we talked about MVP voting, the games played really mattered. But when you look at how All-NBA is made out, it looks like games played doesn't really matter. Because Kawhi Leonard missed 20 games this year and got first-team All-NBA. And is he one of the top five players in the world? Absolutely. Did he have a top-five season this year? I don't think so. I think you could argue that LeBron James missed 
you know, pretty equal the amount of games, and he played better than Kawhi Leonard. And Joel Embiid, I know that with all NBA, it goes two guards, two forwards, and a center, which is something else I think is so stupid because all NBA should just be like the best possible starting lineup and who doesn't want Jokic and Embiid together on a team and we'll say it won't work. I think that's stupid. But Joel Embiid finishing second in MVP voting and being on second team all NBA, pretty whack. And the only other thing I guess I'll say is other than Kawhi, I think it should have been Embiid, they should have found a spot for Embiid and put him in for Kawhi as first team was Giannis, Kawhi, Steph, Luka, Jokic. And I think there's a real argument for Chris Paul over Luka. I thought Chris Paul should have been a a candidate for MVP. And Luka, for as much as he does, I don't know. That's really my only gripe. I'll go through the list if you haven't heard him yet. First team, as I just said, Giannis, Kawhi, Steph, Luka, Jokic. Second team, shout out the Knicks, Julius Randle, LeBron James, Chris Paul, Damian Lillard, Joel Embiid. Third team, Jimmy Butler, Paul George, Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving, Rudy Gobert. A lot of very good players. And it's tough when you got to exclude players, but the NBA, the talent level in this league is as high as I've ever seen in my life. And I think that helps in with all the parity that we're seeing this year because, you know, we're seeing players like Bradley Beal was third-team All-NBA. Russell Westbrook was right outside. If there was a fourth team, he would have been on it. And they were the eighth seed in the East. They were in the playing tournament. Julius Randle on the Knicks, team that was supposed to finish last in the league this year. Got a four seed or a five uh, four seed? Five seed? Four seed and is second team All-NBA. Kawhi Leonard missed 20 games, first team All-NBA. These are just incredible players. And they all deserve the recognition. You wish you could find spots for Mitchell, Tatum, Westbrook. That's not how it goes. I, I think it's a very fair list. And, you know, Bam was another guy who could have been put up there, but... I'm not salty about it. Um, all right, one more thing before I get you guys out of here. A little longer episode because I didn't have another one last week. The Dallas Mavericks situation. I mentioned Luka Doncic a little bit, but their offseason, it's only been about, what, two and a half weeks, three weeks long. And the second best player is upset. The general manager is out. And the coach is out. So, while I think it's important to build around your star in this league, let's think about something. Luka Doncic is 22 years old. And also, to add on top of that, it's been a conversation that he doesn't necessarily want to stay in Dallas long term. Okay, whatever. Now, Luka Doncic is 22 years old. He played overseas his entire life. Not really an an American. So he comes to this country three years ago and they, you know, throw him in the middle of America, Dallas, Texas, and they ask the world of him. They ask him, they give him the keys to the franchise and said, take us as you go. And he took them everywhere. 
as far as they were able to go with the team they had. But as a 22 years old, that is a lot of pressure. Again, I'm 22 years old, and I'm sitting in my parents' basement recording a podcast for you guys to listen to. I'm not in charge of an entire NBA franchise in Dallas, Texas. That's that's not... I am more of what a 22-year-old should be doing. I know it's, you know, I should be doing more. But I shouldn't be doing what Luka Doncic is doing, coming from a whole different part of the world and being trusted with a billion-dollar organization. They're putting way too much in this kid's hands at such a young age. Granted, Luka's mature, and he gets it. And he wants to see this team succeed and he wants the best team possible around him and the best ownership and the best coaching around him. But to make all of these decisions based on this 22-year-old kid, it's just mind-boggling to me that Mark Cuban, an established businessman in the United States, just isn't putting two and two together. He's not really respecting the youth of Doncic. And he's just letting him do everything. He's putting the keys of the franchise in his hand. I don't know how smart that is. I think they have a long offseason ahead of them. Not longer than the Sixers. Not longer than the Blazers. But one of the top three most chaotic offseasons in the league. And it already started for Dallas. And it's going to get a whole lot weirder as Porzingis wants out. They need a new coach. They need a new GM. They have a lot of decisions that need to be made. And we'll see how Mark Cuban and Luka Doncic are able to handle it. All right, guys. Game two tonight. Western Conference Finals. Suns are going to win. They'll go up 2-0 going into LA. Game one. Bucks hawks both coming off grueling seven-game series where they won on the road in Milwaukee tomorrow night. We have the conference finals. What a time to be alive and be a basketball fan. Appreciate y'all. Thank you for listening. And I'll talk to you next time.